What's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. A businessman with open ties to China donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Biden campaign. The former Disney CEO once praised China for what he called incredible opportunities. The historic strike by actors and writers is taking a big toll on all kinds of companies that depend on Hollywood business. And TD takes a look at how it's affecting one company in particular. Former President Trump reveals what he thinks his biggest mistakes were during his first term as president. Find out what he'd do differently. Black Sea grain deal is no more. Russia made the announcement today in the wake of the attack on the Crimea Bridge. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, more than a dozen train cars toppled off the tracks after a 40-car freight train derailed in east, southeastern Pennsylvania early this morning. Multiple cars were reportedly loaded with hazardous materials, triggering a level two hazmat response. No leakage or injuries were reported. Officials evacuated homes nearby as caution, but observed no hazard to the public, adding that no further evacuations are needed. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. Disney now says the photos from its live action remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs are real. That's after first saying they were fake when criticized. The Daily Mail showed photos and video that depict the seven dwarves from the classic story as one dwarf and six regular-sized people of various races and sexes. The Daily Beast asked Disney if the photos were real, and Disney initially said they were fake and wanted a correction from the Daily Mail. But the news outlet later said that Disney backtracked and said the photos were real, but unofficial. Disney shared last year that the Seven Dwarves would now be referred to as magical creatures. Disney made the renaming decision after criticism from actor Peter Dinklage, who has dwarfism. The first joint strike by Hollywood actors and writers since 1960 is affecting multiple dependent industries. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story of a struggling provider of lighting and other equipment. The company called Wood and Nickel has served Tinseltown Productions for over three decades, but the strikes mean fewer sets to rent its gear to. Owner Brian Godwin says sales dropped 50% within a few weeks of the writer's strike kicking off. Now that the actors have entered in, uh, this week is a disaster. It's down a good 50% again. His once empty shelves are now brimming with equipment. There are good days, don't get me wrong. You know, it, it's a roller coaster, but it's, you know, there are highly impactful days that are like, the cash flow's not there. But Godwin won't be laying anybody off. He guarantees 40 hours a week to all his employees. The business owner says camera people, grips, and electrics are all suffering. Every day, I'm getting a call or a resume sent to me. Hey, it's slow. You got any work there? I sadly have to say to him, we're not hiring at this time. Employee Ricardi Zendeja says the company was slammed until COVID came. And now that, uh, you know, the strikes are going on, you know, it has slowed down a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, like these strikes are, are impacting a lot of people. Actors and writers are both demanding increases in base pay and residuals in the streaming TV era. They also want assurances that their work won't be replaced by artificial intelligence. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. 
A former Disney CEO and his wife donating almost $2 million to the Biden campaign. That's despite open ties to China. The businessman used to visit the communist country every month. Here are the details. Former Disney CEO Jeffrey Katzenberg and his wife Marilyn are both donating to the Biden Victory Fund. The fund is part of President Biden's presidential campaign. Federal Election Commission records show that Katzenberg and his wife both donated over $889,000 to the fund in late April, totaling to around $1.7 million. That's despite Katzenberg's strong ties to China and the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. Katzenberg, who also ran DreamWorks Animation back in 2014, proclaimed how often he visits China, saying, I've been to China every single month for the last two and a half years because it's a place of incredible opportunity right now. During his time as DreamWorks CEO, the company announced the construction of a production studio in Shanghai as a part of a multi-billion dollar deal with the CCP. That deal came just days after Xi Jinping, who is now Chinese regime leader, traveled to the U.S. in 2012. During that trip, he met with then-President Obama, Vice President Biden, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, among other people. The deal later prompted an investigation by the SEC. The commission wanted to find out if DreamWorks violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act by bribing Chinese officials to gain access to the Chinese market. Reports say the commission hasn't made the results of that probe public. Fox News' Maria Bartiromo asked former President Trump if he made any mistakes during his presidency. Trump revealed what he felt was the biggest problem. Uh, the, the mistake would be people. I mean, I wouldn't have put a guy like Bill Barr in. I wouldn't have put uh, Jeff Sessions in. Uh, there are some people that I wouldn't have put in. You know, most people were good. He also says he wouldn't have used former Defense Secretary Mark Esper. When asked why he put people he did not like in office, Trump said he wasn't familiar enough with people in Washington. He mentioned that he came into Washington politics from a totally different scene in New York. He says he is now more familiar than anyone else with people working in the nation's capital. He says he now knows who are the good ones, the bad ones, the smart ones, and the dumb ones. He also says that if he didn't fire former FBI head James Comey early in his presidency, he may have been able to serve his entire term. He says Comey was part of a plot against him. Senator Joe Manchin has raised $1.2 million in the second quarter of 2023, raising speculation he could announce a presidential run. He has not made an official decision on whether he will run for Senate re-election, make a third-party bid for the presidency, or retire. The Epoch Times obtained the fundraising figures along with other numbers showing that Manchin campaign has $10.7 million in cash on hand and $2.2 million available in his PAC. Two Republican candidates have announced the run for Manchin's Senate seat, but the money that Manchin raised is more than either of those rivals brought in during the same period. Manchin said he will make a decision about his political future this coming December. Coming up, a new law in Texas stops cities from mandating water breaks for construction workers. This is potentially deadly, so how did this law come to be? And how big will its impact really be? And airplane pilots are getting a raise. A new deal between United Airlines and pilots is worth an estimated $10 billion. Or in just a moment, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. 
Texas cities will soon not be allowed to mandate water breaks for construction workers. The Lone Star State has experienced a severe heat wave this summer, and the new legislation is causing controversy among local officials. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Opponents of the law have dubbed the legislation the Death Star Bill. What it does is prohibit cities and counties from adopting labor regulations that go beyond state law. But there's no statewide or national regulations for water breaks. For construction workers, the danger is real. Texas is the deadliest state when it comes to construction. One worker dies every three days in our state. In fact, um, more, worker die, more workers die of heat-related illnesses in our state than any other state. Most Texas cities don't have a water break law, but Austin and Dallas do, one that's about a decade old. Currently, it mandates a 10-minute break every four hours. Dr. Neil Gandhi explains that the severe heat can cause a variety of acute health issues. What we're seeing now during this current heat wave is uh, folks who work outside are extremely, extremely affected by the high heat. Um, we can see them uh, really get dehydrated pretty quickly and pretty fast. Um, some of them have to come in for hospitalization. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed the legislation back in June. It aims to stop regulation of small businesses. The representative who filed the bill called the growing list of city laws contradictory and confusing after a number of local businesses complained. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner announced the city was filing a lawsuit against the state. For a city like the city of Houston, we are a home rule city uh, that is invest, vested in the state constitution, which means we have the right to self-govern. The law doesn't stop employers from giving their workers rest breaks. The co-owner of Dallas General Contractor told the New York Times he wasn't aware of the city regulation, but that it's common sense to give workers breaks in water. The new law takes effect on September 1st. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. As Arizona faces drought and intense heat, the city of Scottsdale has banned natural grass in the front yards of newly built homes in an effort to conserve groundwater. The measure was supported unanimously by the Scottsdale City Council and will apply to single-family homes. This is one among many attempts by Arizona to conserve water as the southwest faces rising temperatures, decreasing groundwater reserves, and persistent drought conditions. In June, Arizona announced limits on construction in the Phoenix area owing to rapidly disappearing groundwater. Parts of the state have been in a long-term drought since the mid-1990s. The ban on natural grass comes at a time when Arizona is experiencing extreme heat with daily temperatures in Phoenix hitting 110 degrees. Already blistering temperatures are forecast to go even higher for Nevada, Arizona, and California, with some areas going above 120 degrees during the day and remaining in the 90s overnight. Senator Chuck Schumer wants the public to know more information about UFOs. He plans to introduce a bill that would create a commission to disclose sightings. The move has bipartisan support. It comes as whistleblowers claim that environmental agencies are withholding critical information. The New York Times reported the new commission would have the authority to force government agencies to declassify information on the subject of extraterrestrials. A former Defense Department intelligence officer went public recently with claims of covert programs to retrieve crafts of non-human origin. He gave both Congress and the Intelligence Community Inspector General classified information about the programs. According to the debrief, 
He says he has suffered illegal retaliation because of his disclosure. United Airlines agreed to give pilots a pay raise in a new deal over the weekend. Joining us is Entity Business's Don Ma. Don, tell us more about this deal. Yeah, so that's right, Chris. Uh, United and its pilots union reached a new labor agreement. This is apparently after four years of negotiations. So the deal was announced by the Airline Pilots Association on Saturday and is estimated to be worth about $10 billion in value, Chris, over the four, next four years. It could be the biggest deal ever. Now, according to a Bloomberg report, the, the deal will give pilots a pay raise of around 13% to 18%, and as much as a total of 40% over the entire span of this agreement. Um, now, here's some more details of the agreement. It also gives quality of work life improvements, uh, things like job security, uh, work rules, retirement and benefits, and, and United has confirmed as well uh, an agreement has in fact been reached with Airline Pilots Association. Now, how does the deal benefit United Airlines? Yeah, so United and pilot union negotiators will still have to work to complete the final language of the deal in the coming weeks. Um, and then the union's master executive council will, will vote to determine if it becomes a tentative agreement that the group will then put it up for ratification. Now, according to the union, 16,000 United pilots will be affected by the changes. So the new, the new deal could potentially help relieve some pressure on, on the airline. Uh, United was criticized last month after a storm caused chaotic flight disruptions that left passengers stranded at Newark Airport. About 750 flights were canceled. And it's not just that. Recently, we've seen a lot of delays and cancellations to flights from other companies as well. There's been a pilot shortage in the industry. So will this deal tackle that? Uh, only time will tell, it seems. And how will the deal impact consumers? Well, this agreement... Uh, is estimated to be worth about $10 billion, as I mentioned before, over four years. I mean, that's got to come from somewhere, right? There's no free lunch, as they say. Now, is United going to pass it on to the consumer? Will ticket prices go up? Um, I think that's something the company will for sure consider at the very, le very least. And it's at the end of the day, it's all about supply and demand. There's a lot of demand for air travel, but there's a shortage of pilots and the pilot shortage in the U.S. has been ongoing since post-pandemic travel picked up. Um, as of September 2022, the industry was reportedly short about 17,000 pilots this year, according to some estimates, and the gap between demand and supply could reach 24,000 pilots in 2026. So when the pandemic hit in March 2020, countries closed their borders, uh, as you remember, and travel came to a halt. So carriers were forced to scale back operations. And that meant a lot of pilots were let go, laid off or offered early retirement. So if the supply and demand situation isn't, isn't fixed, I mean, we could potentially see prices go up. However, airfare tickets ha has been coming down according to the CPI reports. What's being done to address this shortage, Don? So a number of things, airlines have resorted to hiring from abroad, uh, paying their pilots more. And as we're seeing with this deal, right? They're also taking a second look at pilot training requirements. Um, as well, there's talks of wanting to raise the retirement age to try to keep more planes in the skies. And 
On the topic of raising retirement age, the U.S. House of Representatives will actually vote on legislation to raise the mandatory commercial pilot retirement age to 67. Um, it was originally 65 years old. But here's the thing, Chris, even if it's approved, uh, current international rules would still prevent pilots older than 65 from flying in most countries outside of the United States. Um, other than that, airlines have also tried cutting flights to smaller cities. There were over 300 U.S. airports with less service in January compared to the same month in 2020. About a dozen small airports, including Williamsport, Pennsylvania, have lost service entirely. But, you know, it's hard to predict what the future will look like. There's a lot of moving parts here. But, you know, as I said before, only time will tell. All right. Thanks, Don. When we return, search efforts are underway in South Korea following severe flooding with at least 12 people dead. Experts are now talking about how to prevent the next disaster. And a push for sanctions on China from the Democrat Senate Majority Leader. Find out what the issue is and what he's proposing when we return. Welcome back, everyone. Search efforts in South Korea continue as authorities look for more victims of a flash flood that occurred on Saturday. The deluge killed at least 12 people about 70 miles south of Seoul. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. A flash flood trapped 16 vehicles in a tunnel on Saturday after a river levee collapsed in Changju. The disaster killed 12 people, including three bodies found overnight. Simply put, the primary cause was the collapse of the temporary riverbank, which led to the overflow of excessive flood water. The next primary cause would be the failure to take preventative measures despite the presence of such risk factors, which resulted in the damage. South Korea has recently vowed to step up readiness for extreme weather. Experts say not enough of the budget is spent to prepare for these kinds of disasters, even as more sudden and torrential rain is expected in the coming decades. Local governments allocate 1% to 2% of their budget to disaster funds every year. When it comes to allocating a disaster budget, local governments use 30% of that for prevention measures and 70% is used for recovery after disasters. Whereas in advanced countries, they allocate 70% for prevention and 30% for recovery. Days of intense rain, landslides and floods in the country's central region have left 40 people dead. People like to use expressions such as rapid response, emergency recovery, but that's wrong. Climate disasters are already underway. So now if you put money into prevention projects, you can do it at half the cost of recovery projects. Officials have promised to spend more on natural disaster prevention. South Korea spent about $1.58 billion in 2022, 20% higher than the previous year, according to the Interior Ministry. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Back from her recent trip to Beijing, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said she's eager to work with China on areas of mutual interest. Those include debt restructuring for poorer countries, among other challenges. There's much more work to do, but I believe this trip was an important start. I'm eager to build on the groundwork that we laid in Beijing to mobilize further action. 
Yellen spoke on Sunday ahead of the G20 meeting in India. She said her visit to China set a better footing for relations between the two world powers. Yellen also laid out the next steps for the World Bank and other multilateral development banks. As for the ongoing war in Ukraine, Yellen added that Washington will continue to cut off Russia's access to relevant weapons and technology. The Biden administration's climate envoy John Kerry arrived in Beijing Sunday. Kerry will meet with his Chinese counterpart Xie Jinhua for three days of talks. Discussions are centered on renewing commitments from the U.S. and China to reduce methane emissions. The Chinese Communist Party stopped high-level diplomatic engagement with the U.S. in August last year. That was after Nancy Pelosi, who was House Speaker at the time, visited Taiwan. The CCP claims Taiwan is part of its territory despite never having ruled the island. President Biden and Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping agreed at a meeting in November to restart talks between their top officials. But plans changed after the spy balloon incident at the end of January. China has the U.S. over a barrel on climate change, says Anders Kaur, publisher of the Journal of Political Risk and principal at Core Analytics. This as U.S. climate envoy John Kerry landed in Beijing on July 16th for talks with China's climate envoy and other officials. I spoke with Kaur to learn more about his perspective. Anders Kaur, thank you for joining us. Thank you. In your recent article, you're saying that John Kerry must walk away from Beijing with a climate deal. Why the urgency here? His reputation is on the line. America's reputation is on the line uh, as global dealmakers. COP28 is coming up in Dubai, and he wants a deal with China before he goes um, so that there can actually be progress there. And you also said he's uh, getting desperate for a deal, as we're kind of hinting at here. Um, and you're saying that makes him a lousy, lousy negotiator. Uh, what could any deal he brokers look like given that? He's not likely to get a concession from China. Uh, China is looking for concessions from the United States. You can see that in the, in the Chinese reporting uh, in advance of the talks. Uh, they're demanding things like, you know, changes to our Taiwan policy, Xinjiang, other human rights issues. So, um, you know, they're, they're the ones who think they're on the, uh, on the, in, in the better bargaining position. Uh, they think the U.S. is on its back foot, and it shows. You said the CCP is extorting the U.S. for cutting coal in the article. What is China trying to get? China is engaging in what I would call environmental extortion, um, where they know that we desperately want uh, a climate deal, and so they are essentially risking, um, you know, permanent global warming. Uh, by continuing to expand their coal plants, their coal power plants. Um, they know that's very bad for us. And they're trying, they're looking for concessions. It's, it's almost like using uh, their coal plants as a weapon against us and the rest of the world. And what else are they trying to get out of these negotiations? They're looking for uh, changes to our Taiwan policy. They, they, they don't like the fact that Pelosi visited Taiwan, for example, um, she, as soon as that happened, they canceled cooperation on climate for about a year, um, along with other things like fentanyl. Um, and, you know, so they're, they're trying to leverage 
our desperation around climate issues uh, for their political gain. And who has the upper hand here in this situation? China thinks it has the upper hand because they know, uh, really because U.S. voters, especially Democrat voters, uh, really wanted a, a climate deal, a global climate deal. Um, China doesn't have to answer to voters. Xi Jinping is a dictator. He doesn't have he doesn't have voters he has to deal with, so he can just wait until the U.S. pressured by its voters, uh, you know, looks for a, a quick deal, and that's putting us on the back foot, unfortunately. Andrews Core, principal at Core Analytics. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. U.S. Senate leader Chuck Schumer wants to sanction China over fentanyl. He's pushing for a bipartisan amendment to the upcoming defense bill. Schumer says the amendment would authorize the White House to declare fentanyl trafficking a national emergency and open the door to sanctions. The Senate leader says the bill will be brought to the floor this week and believes it will pass with strong bipartisan support. Paraguay is the last country in South America to still hold official relations with Taiwan. The country's incoming president opened up on why it makes more sense not shifting to Beijing. Uh, we have no constraint on doing trade with China. We would love to do more trade with PRC, uh, but we are also looking to have the market of the U.S. open. We think that this is going to happen relatively soon. Santiago Peña says his country has an agriculture-based economy and needs to move up in the value chain. He said Taiwan makes the best choice. The president-elect is facing pressure from the agriculture sector back home, which wants to open up lucrative Chinese markets to soybeans and beef. But Peña maintains that Paraguay cannot rely on a single market. The country is also working on trade with Japan and South Korea. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. After the break, accusations fly after an attack on the Crimea Bridge. Two parents are dead and their daughter hospitalized with injuries. And with many Ukrainians having left their homeland to escape the war, how will the Ukrainian economy survive? More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. The Black Sea grain deal is no more. Russia made the announcement today in the wake of the attack on the Crimea Bridge. The deal allowed Ukrainian grain to be exported through the Black Sea. The Kremlin said the halting of the Black Sea grain deal had nothing to do with the bridge attack. Russia says the suspension of the deal will continue until its demands to get its own agricultural shipments to the world are met. Russia has complained about restrictions on shipping and insurance, hobbling its food and fertilizer exports. Two people were killed and their daughter was wounded today in an attack on the Crimean bridge. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what Russia called a terrorist attack by Ukraine. 
Blasts were reported before dawn on the 12-mile-long road in Rail Bridge, which joins Russia to Crimea. Videos circulating online claim to show the attack in its aftermath, but have not been verified. This graphic footage shows the real-world consequences of war. Innocent people traveling along a bridge, perhaps headed for a holiday, caught up in the carnage. An emergency vehicle arrives at the scene, but getting through the mass of cars proves difficult. Here, a policeman communicates with people while directing traffic. This daylight video appears to show the state of the bridge after the attack. Another video shows the damaged bridge stretch from the side and here from above. Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine in 2014. The bridge serves as a transport route for Russian troops fighting in Ukraine and is a prestige project personally opened by President Vladimir Putin. Russian officials blame Ukraine for what they call a terrorist attack on the bridge, while Ukraine says the attack could be some kind of provocation by Russia itself on the same day that Putin must decide whether or not to extend a UN broker deal that allows the export of grain via the Black Sea. But three Ukrainian media outlets say Ukraine was behind the attack using seaborne drones. Russia blamed Ukraine for an attack on the bridge last October, saying it was organized by Ukrainian military intelligence. Ukraine indirectly admitted to the attack months later. The Crimean Peninsula has long been a cherished vacation destination for Russians, especially after Moscow launched its invasion on Ukraine in 2022, and traveling to the west became much more difficult for Russians. In recent weeks, traffic jams to the entrance of the bridge went for miles on a daily basis as Russians went on holiday. The wounded girl, now an orphan, was being treated in intensive care. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. With the war dragging on, Ukraine's population is shrinking, and it could decline further by about a third over the next 30 years, according to a study published in March by the European Commission's Joint Research Center. After fleeing the war in Ukraine, millions of refugees are beginning to think about settling for good in the countries they find themselves in across Europe. I'm more effective here rather than in Ukraine. Fashion designer Ksenia Karpenko has kept her business afloat from her current home in Tarragona on the Mediterranean coast in Spain, where she was on vacation when the war broke out. She had to downsize but kept going despite the war. Her team of eight in Ukraine designs and makes clothes sold in boutiques in Madrid and Barcelona. Sometimes we are given the circumstances that we didn't choose, but we have to leave the circumstances we are given. And now I'm choosing to leave the circumstances I'm given. And now, yes, I'm living here. As a result of refugees staying abroad for good, the Ukrainian economy could lose up to 7.71% of its GDP per year, according to think tank the Center for Economic Strategy. Back in Ukraine, businesses are now grappling with the likelihood that many refugees will not return and that the workforce will keep shrinking for years to come. According to the United Nations Refugee Agency, only around 1 in 10 plans to return anytime soon. Labor shortages are especially acute in industries requiring high levels of education and training. Two-thirds of the women who sought refuge elsewhere in Europe have a higher education, according to research published in March by the CES. And once wartime restrictions on men leaving the country are lifted, many could join families abroad, according to Ella Libanova, a demographer at the National Academy of Science. The Ukrainian government, however, is more optimistic about returnees, saying the patriotism has surged after the invasion. Oleksiy Sobolev, 
the deputy economy minister told the recent roundtable he expected up to 75% of refugees would head back to Ukraine within three years of end of fighting. After the break, Japan encourages more women to pursue careers in STEM. The Tokyo Institute of Technology aims to have women make up about a quarter of new students. And a veteran car designer in Italy is showing off his new concept car. The self-described failed painter's work includes James Bond's submersible Lotus in The Spy Who Loved Me. Stay tuned for more when we return. Welcome back. Japan is trying to encourage more women to pursue careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. Currently, only 16% of female university students are majoring in STEM fields. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the nation's efforts to close the gap. Japan is making a big push for more women like Yuna Kato. She's just one of a handful of women in Japan studying science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I first became interested because I enjoyed math, so that was a big part of it. But as I continued to study, I wanted to do something useful for people's lives, like science. Japan ranks last among Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Nations for women majoring in STEM. But Japanese girls score the second highest in the world in math and third in science. There is still a strong unconscious bias in Japan that women are not suited for science or that they do not need to go to university. I think this is a reason why there are so few women in the sciences or in the STEM fields. The Tokyo Institute of Technology aims to have women make up 20 to 30 percent of new students. Right now, they only account for 13 percent. Universities have to make it known to the world that they want to accept female students, so we are taking proactive steps with the women's quota, strongly appealing to the world that we want female students to come to our university. The current lack of female STEM students like Kato has become a big problem for Japan. The country is looking at a shortfall of 790,000 workers by 2030 in the IT field alone. Japan's working population is declining more and more. With the birth rate falling and the population aging, it is a very important issue that the power of every person be leveraged, regardless of whether they are a man or a woman. More Japanese companies are also taking steps to hire more female engineers. Mitsubishi Heavy has set a target for at least 10% of its engineers to be women, up from 5% in 2015. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A veteran car designer in Italy calls himself a failed artist, but his works are appreciated all over the world. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on his latest endeavor. Giorgetto Giugiaro wasn't always in the car business. He originally wanted to be an artist. I am a failed painter. I was one step away from going to art academy. I didn't want to go into the automotive industry. His latest car is one he designed nearly 50 years ago for Hyundai. He created the automaker's first car, the Pony Sedan. The vehicle was Korea's first independently developed mass production model. 
but his next design, the Pony Coupe, was never produced. The Hyundai Pony Coupe was born out of research to show how starting from a widely used car like the sedan version, it was possible to create a product that was more hedonistic and not simply tied to Korea's needs of the moment. Now Hyundai has asked the 84-year-old maestro to finish the job he started in 1974. It was very satisfying to know that Hyundai wanted to celebrate this history and my work. Over the years, Jujario has been responsible for iconic works, such as James Bond's submersible Lotus in The Spy Who Loved Me and Marty McFly's DeLorean in Back to the Future. Art is a magic word. Art is creativity. When I see a structure, a complex mechanical object, I consider it unrecognized art because for us, art means Picasso or Raphael or other great names. Industrial production also has an art content because there is the same magic that is found in the works of great artists. The Pony Coupe is now considered a retro-futuristic classic. I would say that certain aspects of the past will return. They will be revisited with the context of the present, accounting for the technological evolution of the industry. The technological leaps we have made mean we cannot entirely return to the past, but the form, the idea, remain. The Coupe's simple exterior, geometric lines, and uninterrupted surfaces have inspired a wave of other vehicles. Hyundai's hydrogen-powered N-Vision 74 made its Italian debut in May alongside the recreated Pony Coupe. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a Florida neighborhood is experiencing an unusually furry invasion after dozens of rabbits take to the streets. More in just a moment, here on NTD News. Back to the news, a mystery metal object is baffling locals and authorities after it washed up on a remote beach in Western Australia. It appears to be a possible fuel tank from a rocket that was being launched in the last 12 months that's dropped into the Indian Ocean, somewhere in the Indian Ocean, and washed up at uh, Greenhead. The massive cylinder is sparking speculation online. Some believe it came from the Malaysia Airlines MH370 that went missing in 2014, but one expert says that's impossible because the plane disappeared over nine years ago and there should be more wear and tear on the debris. Local police are looking into the object. Turning to Florida, where a suburban neighborhood is dealing with an invasion of domestic rabbits. The fluffy creatures are roaming the streets after they were illegally let loose by their breeder. Here's NTD's Cost Temenes. This small community in Fort Lauderdale now has to deal with several dozen lionhead rabbits who have taken up residence in the neighborhood. One of the neighbors moved a couple of years ago and she just left her rabbits in the street when she moved. They were not spayed or neutered, so they started multiplying and now there's probably 50 or more rabbits in the neighborhood. But the rabbits are not really equipped for outside life. Their thick fur and fearless nature make them sensitive to the heat and vulnerable to predators. Moreover, despite their cuteness, they can be a nuisance. Well, every morning, I get, the first thing I do is get up and cover up the holes and chase them out of the backyard, too. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like them, but uh, I just wish they would live somewhere else. 
Residents are now trying to raise money to rescue and rehome them. Local authorities have agreed to give the residents time to raise the over $20,000 needed, after initially saying the rabbits would have to be exterminated. Cost MNS, NTD News. Floating. When your belly feels full and tight. It's often due to gas, but it can be fixed with some remedies. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. There's plenty of advice around about how to relieve abdominal bloating, but some health professionals have highlighted three natural ways. This can help people to put an end to the uncomfortable sensation of a bloated belly. Bloating is a short-term disease affecting the gastrointestinal tract. It's generally characterized by an excess buildup of gas, air, and fluids in the stomach. The first line of defense for preventing it is changing your diet. A few health experts have advised starting with the following steps. Number one, drink water. Drinking water is probably the last thing people want to do, especially when they feel like their belly is about to explode. But registered dietitian and nutritionist Rachel Doyle said hydration is important for minimizing bloating. Drinking water may help to reduce bloating by ridding the body of excess sodium. Excess salt is often hidden in cans, frozen foods, and processed foods. Water keeps everything moving along smoothly in your digestive tract. This is essential for regular bowel movements. Constipation and bloating often go hand in hand. Aim for 8 to 12 cups a day. If that's too much, add fruits and vegetables with high water content. Examples include strawberries, apples, oranges, lettuce, cucumbers, peppers, watermelon, healthy vegetable soups, smoothies, and healthy yogurts. All of these will help the body to de-bloat. Number two, add foods that are high in potassium. The second remedy is to increase potassium. Combination of potassium and water may flatten the stomach within hours. Potassium has natural diuretic properties, removing more salt in a shorter period of time. As a result, eating a diet rich in potassium gets rid of puffiness and swelling caused by excess fluids. Foods that are rich in potassium are avocados, bananas, sweet potatoes, spinach, coconut water, white beans, black beans, edamame, butternut squash, and dried apricots. Most people underconsume potassium. Potassium is a mineral found in fruits and vegetables that help to counterbalance sodium. If you eat a lot of processed foods, there's a good chance you may be retaining extra fluid and feeling bloated. This includes packaged foods, takeout meals, fast food, and restaurant meals. And finally, number three, cut down on carbs. The final method to reduce distension is cutting down on carbohydrates. Eating too many carbohydrates will make it difficult for the intestines to fully absorb them. Instead, it will pass them to the colon where they are fermented by bacteria and produce gas. You may also want to try eliminating gluten. Observe to see whether the body feels less bloating after a period of time. Gluten can be part of a bloat-free diet if your body agrees with it. Try choosing the least processed sources of gluten. Examples include homemade bread or gluten-containing whole grains like couscous or barley. In closing, if you can't resolve bloating, be sure to reach out to a healthcare professional. Tom Cruise famously saved the box office last summer with Top Gun Maverick. Could he do it again? Here's the early weekend box office estimates. It's been a long time, friend. You have no idea the power I represent. It knows your story. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 opened on top with $56.2 million from Friday through Sunday. 
That's lower than the debut weekend of the previous film in the series, 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout. But the new film set a franchise record with 80 million in its first five days since opening Wednesday. Globally, the latest Mission Impossible movie racked up an estimated $235 million in ticket sales this weekend. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers. Thank you.